0: This is Brett Hill, and this is the Primal Alternative Podcast.
1: You're listening to the Primal Alternative Podcast inspiration for your evolution. Welcome to the Primal Alternative Podcast. This is episode number 92 and I am H, your host. Hello. It's so cool to have you here. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over and give us a review so that this podcast can reach more people and help make their lives easier so that they can feel amazing, reach new goals and inspire other people. So today's podcast is brought to you by No Nut Hemp Granola. Um, It's a really exciting new product range that we introduced on September the 1st. So it's super, super brand new. Let me tell you about our No Nut Hemp Granola. It's an all-natural, nutrient-rich, low-carb breakfast choice or healthy snack with delicious, crunchy clusters of lightly baked seeds and coconut mixed with spices and hemp butter. Each serve provides a balance of good fats, protein, antioxidants, fiber, essential fatty acids, and omega-3s to nourish you. It's locally handmade from premium ingredients. It's low-carb, it's vegan, it's low FODMAP, it's paleo, it's grain and wheat-free, of course, and it's locally made. How cool is that? Now, I am particularly proud of this recipe that I've created because when I was expanding the online shop range, I don't know if you've had had a look in the shop lately, but it's so much more than just primal alternative products now. We have got um, drinks, we've got bone broths, we've got um, the low-tox personal care, we've got paleo mayonnaises. we've got MCT oil, coconut oil, ghee, we've got nut butters and spreads like every might. Um and we've got sauces as well, as well as being able to get like everything on there from a seal to a water filter. It really just, I really wanted to make this shop just like a, a place where you could go And like all the hard work was taken out of it for you because I don't know about you, but for me, the food part was easy. But then trying to find, you know, low tox um, personal care was really hard. And trying to find like, you know, making your own mayonnaise and making your own bone broths and things like that is fine. But after a period of time, I don't know about you, And I'm sorry if this makes me sound really bad, but I just didn't have time to do it anymore. (laughs) When you're in the mood for making stuff, it's great to go in the kitchen. You can do all sorts of things. But I just find that these days, I'm so much more involved in growing Primal Alternative, which is so much more aligned with my values and my best contribution. I don't really want to be stuck in the kitchen making a batch of mayonnaise every week, right? Because we go through it. That quickly, my daughter eats about half a jar per per meal, and I'm quite happy to let her do it because you know it's just egg yolks and really wholesome olive oil and a bit of um, lemon juice. You know, it's good food, so I'm quite happy for her to scoff half the jar. But it just means I'm in the kitchen making it all the time, and I just don't have the time. So I've gone out there and done the hard work for you and found a couple of paleo mayonnaisees that taste as good as the stuff you make at home. So we've got the Undivided Company um, mayonnaise, which is so good. They also do a just totally to die for, aioli, if you like a bit of a garlic mayonnaise. And we've also got the Jevity RX. Um, they call them bone broth sauces, but they're essentially mayonnaisees, with bone broth in them. So you get I know, right? So you get men's and gut healing. It's so clever. So we've got all of these really, really cool products in the shop now, as well as our granolas. And so when I was reset back to the story, right? So when I was researching what I was going to put in the shop, I was like, oh, what what about these granolas? What you, you know, looking at some stuff in, you know, and distributors, magazines. And Primalista Sally, shout out to Sally. Hello, gorgeous. She said, well, H, you know we've got all the ingredients for granola because we do, right? We've got all the nuts, seeds, and flowers you could think of, right, to make the primal alternative products. So we started to have a bit of a play around, me and Sally, and we thought, right, well, let's keep it in like... On the theme of the brands, sort of the sub brands we already have, like the non hemp products, the fat and seedy products, triple Choc keto products, and also the fruit toast products, right? So we came up with these four granolas and they're all amazing. But to take it kind of one step at a time and to not overwhelm our gorgeous primer listers who are making this stuff from their home kitchens, right? We decided just to launch with the non hemp granola which I've um, just given you a description of. And a lot of paleo food has got a lot of nuts in it. And don't get me wrong, I'm nuts about nuts, but too many nuts, I can't, I just can't deal. It's too much on the system, right? You probably find the same thing. <clears throat> and that's why this this product's so much of a winner. Because it's got no nuts in it, it means it can go in school lunch boxes. And I have just been having the fattest time ever in my kitchen, coming up with muesli bars. Today, I just made some chocolate crackles, you know, like little crispy cakes that you see at kids' birthday parties, except these ones are made of just seeds and hemp butter and a little bit of coconut oil, a tiny bit of honey and some cacao. I know. And they taste exactly like chocolate crackles or honey joys, you might know them as, but they are so good for you. So you can have that like, oh my goodness, I've just raided the birthday party table, but really keep that nice clean feeling that you get, not have that disgusting sugary aftertaste. You know that taste? I can't stand that. Um, And also none of that sugar crash and subsequent huge sugar cravings you know when you get back on that roller coaster you're like oh no i don't like it and for me as well if i was to eat like a normal chocolate crackle uh with the cornflakes and you know crappy supermarket compound chocolate i would get the biggest fattest bloatiest tummy ever (laughs) and i just don't like that anymore so hurrah for the no hemp granola It's so wicked that Pete Evans is on board with us on this one. He endorses our products. So if you've ever wondered what the Pete Evans relationship is like, basically Pete just really digs what we're doing at Primal Alternative and he uses his social influence and his celebrity status and his big heart to share what we're doing with aligned people like you. So people who are into the paleo way of eating, He shares us uh, with everybody and he gets paid nothing for it. Like, to be fair, we keep him uh, well fed with wraps and the non-hemp bread and now the granola. And Primalista Geeta, shout out to Geeta, hello Geets, uh, in Sydney is Pete's personal Primalista and she keeps him stocked up with products so that he can give us a shout out on Instagram. When he uses our products, just last week he was having some of our Pizza bases, which is so cool, and um, yeah, so so I create the recipe, Pete endorses it just so that we can reach more people because we're a very grassroots uh, kind of business, you know, and we don't have you know massive advertising budgets uh, or um, or anything like that. so Pete just really helps to get our brand out there very much the same way that Joe Witten from Quirky Cooking does just getting us in front of the right people and we're so grateful for that because it's really skyrocketed, um, the Primal Alternative brand and got us into being sort of quite a household name in the quirky food world, right, which is so cool. So, um, yeah, so, wow, all of this uh, amazing food. Get in the shop to just be so much more than just a place to go to check out your Primal Alternative products. Um, but yeah, to get everything, like I say, from your granola to your mayonnaise, to your water filters, to your Everymite, to your MCT oil. I want to be adding other things in there as well, like some simmer sauces. I've got in some Epsom salts, uh, my favorite Epsom salts that I use at home. Uh, so I really hope you find something in there to add to your cart that you're going to love and definitely check out the granolas if you haven't already, because there's something a little bit different. Um, I've never really found a paleo granola that I've enjoyed. It's just felt like a bowl of nuts. Do you know what I mean? And so there's been a lot of chewing and a lot of digestion problems because it's just too nutty. Um, and yeah, there's just been nothing overly special and I do miss cereal. You know, I've been primal now for nearly seven years And I do miss the convenience of just tipping something into a bowl, adding a bit of yogurt and fruit and off you go. And I miss bircher and I miss porridge. (laughs) And you can do that with this product. You can make bircher. I've got some bircher soaking in the fridge overnight with some grated apple, um, some coconut yogurt and some berries. And that is just going to be Delicious! You just pull it out of the fridge and eat it because Friday for me, so it's Friday for me tomorrow is a big day of appointments, and so I've got this amazing bircher that's just ready to go, and it's just I can't like I can't wait! I'm so excited for my breakfast. It's so so cool. um Yeah, so I think I've said everything I want to say about that now, and I think just sort of to lead into a segue for my, for a dear mate Brett who is on the show today, resilience. I think that I feel that the biggest way to build resilience is with food. As you know, I think everything starts with real food. And Brett reached out to me and really wanted to have a chat to um, with me and to you guys about the importance of resilience in these turbulent times because let's face it, 2020 has been pretty turbulent. And Brett feels that all of the focus... Um, on the virulence virulence of the virus, that's hard for me to say, and the stress of the financial and mental impacts and the vulnerability of the population has all been virus-related, right? But he feels there hasn't been much said on resilience and resistance. So Brett's going to talk to us all about resilience and how to cultivate it and how to strengthen it and how to work on it. Now, Brett's also got a new group mentoring program called Exercising Resilience, and all of the listeners, that's you, get a month of group mentoring with Brett in the new group, Exercising Resilience. So if you want to head there and get your free first month, it's www.exercisingresilience.com. And that link's in the show notes. If you just want to click straight through, if you're driving, you obviously don't want to write it down, then you can go and check it out over there. So if you haven't heard of Brett Hill before, Brett is um, a dead set legend. Uh, He is one of the directors of the Wellness Couch that hosts the Primal Alternative podcast along with um, a stream of other amazing podcasts. And um, Brett's also a doctor. He's a chiropractor. And he knows a thing or two about resilience from his own personal experience uh, and also from his learnings and his education. So let's dive into the conversation with Brett. So we've got double Brett there at the start of the show, Brett in the jingle, and Brett's on the show. Welcome to the show, Brett.
0: <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's nice to get
1: past the jingle and get into the, you know, the main <laughs> slot. Get into the main section. No, oh, that's good. And you know, like we were saying <laughs> before we started it. recording, you made it. Um, you know, I was a guest on that, that paleo show when it was around uh, twice. I know. So I know. totally time to return the favor. So we're going to talk today all about resilience and resistance. So I think the best place to start before we get into a really juicy conversation like that is <laughs> with what you had for breakfast.
0: This is so funny. It's perfect timing. Uh, I had nothing for breakfast this morning because it's Friday. I call Friday. Friday for me is fasting Friday. So I generally, uh, almost every week, don't eat from Thursday dinner to Friday dinner.
1: Cool. So and why, dinner. what's your intention <laughs> with that? Um,
0: oh, my phone's ringing. I've turned my phone on silent. Um, the silent. My intention with that is really just around um I just find it works well for me. You know, I've I've tried sort of various different uh, approaches in terms of sort of uh, diet, in terms of playing around with sort of lower carb and things like that and playing around with um, intermittent fasting. You know, for a, quite a long time, I didn't do breakfast. I just sort of didn't eat until after lunchtime. Um, and that was sort of working well for me. And then I sort of got out of the habit of that. Um, and I found that this intermittent, you know, I found benefits from intermittent fasting in terms of just, My energy, I found that it helped me stay, um, helped me not crave sweet stuff quite so much. It helped me uh, probably maintain my weight a little bit healthier, not that that's a massive focus for me, uh, but I just felt really good doing it. I felt mentally, physically, energetically, uh, I just kind of seemed to do better when I was doing that. Um, And I really, the the 24-hour thing was really, that just seems to fit in better with my schedule than any of the other sort of fasting options. Um, So that's what I started doing a couple of years ago, um, and I've just kind of stuck with it because it just works. Friday is my kind of in-the-office day, so I'm not uh, seeing people generally face-to-face. I don't have any sort of distractions. I don't have anyone eating in front of me. Um, So I just sort of get into the office and can just work right through. I don't have to worry about it, Um, and I find it really easy and simple.
1: And then when you get home, you get to enjoy a beautiful dinner with the family. So I was thinking, oh, fasting on a Friday. Yeah. Not like Friday is one of the best days to have delicious weekend food, you know? So, but you're not missing out. You're like, <laughs> you're just no, just. no, it's
0: still good to have Friday night. I get to go home and have a lovely meal and, um, yeah, just enjoy it. So. Um, I'm usually, you know, it's usually uh, Steffi knows if she's making dinner on Friday night that, you know, it needs to be a decent one. It's got to be, <laughs> you can't skip on the Friday night dinner. <laughs> and so I'm usually, pre- you know, I'm actually, I was about to say I'm usually pretty hungry. I'm not usually hungry when I get to Friday night dinner. Like I, I deal with the fast really easy. I think having gone from more of a sort of paleo diet and, and a relatively low carb diet already, the transition I think into fasting was much easier than it is for some other people based on sort of stories and and stuff you read about fasting, um, I found it pretty easy, and, and I don't really get hungry um, until I start eating. <laughs> Once I start eating Friday night, then I'm like, oh, I'm hungry now. Away
1: <laughs> we go? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? When, when, it's almost like you open the floodgates, and then you're hungry. But when, when you're yeah. fasting, you can you can go. So I know this is slightly <laughs> off topic, but just out of interest, you know, I followed you for years, and you know that Paleo show was one of my like fundamental podcasts when I was getting into this yep. way of eating. How would you describe? your way of eating now, Brett? Yeah, it
0: probably hasn't changed a lot, I don't think, over the years. So if anyone has sort of listened to that paleo show, it's probably very similar. But, um, yeah, I, I do a predominantly paleo diet, um, which I always struggle to figure out what percentage that means because uh, it's such a difficult thing to, to answer, depending on how you answer it. But the vast majority of the time I eat a paleo diet and then sometimes just based on uh, convenience or um, you know being socially polite or whatever it happens to be um, I'll have a few little breaks from that uh, or I just you know really feel like eating something um, but it's sort of relatively few and far between I, I probably slightly more often might have something like a you know a gluten-free uh, bread on a burger or something like that uh, that might happen once every couple of weeks um, and then having something that's just totally not paleo and just kind of um, just saying whatever uh, probably happens slightly less frequently than that but most of the meals I have are, are a paleo-based diet um, and, and just, you know, variations of. I try and um, probably my first meal of the day, I generally try and get a bit more fat and protein in there, whether that's a, a smoothie or it's a bacon and eggs or it's um, you know, Joe Whitten's um, porridge. What is it? Cinnamon nut porridge. Apple and cinnamon, yeah, good it's so good. Yeah, that's a good one. So, you know, that sort of stuff in the morning. I have been work trying to do a little bit more salad at lunchtime. Um, so just to get some more fruits and veggies in at lunchtime. Um, I feel like that seems to be working well for me. Um, and then, yeah, dinner is usually meat and um, sweet potato chips we eat a lot and uh, and um, broccolini and, and salad and veg and that sort of stuff or roasts we do a lot as well. Um, so... That's probably a typical sort of breakdown I don't know if that yeah that's awesome, and it
1: it's really nice <laughs> to see you know it's really good to see that you know you've you've gone into the paleo lifestyle and you've made it your own and you made it work, even if you do have your like occasional gluten free burger or something completely not paleo yeah. because that's really that's actually something that I really noticed about coming to the wellness couch events when we go out for dinner and you'd be surrounded by all these you know. Industry leaders, and you'd be like, Oh my goodness, yeah. I have to eat really clean at this dinner. And then, you know, I remember Marcus Pierce. um I said to him, Oh, if the dessert, if that sticky date put in GF, I'm going to have it. And he looked at me and he went, Even if it's not GF, I'm going to have it. And I was like, Yes, that's the key. <laughs> that's the key to doing this yep. long term, isn't it? Just not give a shit sometimes and just.
0: Yeah, it's just about doing what's right for you, you know, and and sometimes that means having the dessert, you know, and and most of the time it means not having the dessert and that's totally okay. Um, But it's, you know, it's not about having that sort of fear and anxiety around what you eat, I think. It's, it's, you know, loving your body, not punishing your body, I think is the key.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, removing all of that stress and, oh, I want to have this but I can't have that because that's just nasty and counterproductive yeah absolutely cool all right so like give us a bit of a breakdown brett as to your perception of where we're at in the world right now obviously coronavirus we're in the second wave tell us how how it's looking from your perspective
0: well it's such an interesting time in the world right now isn't it and i think there's different ways we can look at it like i think we can look at the acute Uh, challenge that's going on right now with the coronavirus and that's important and that's kind of where the I guess all of the focus is at the moment is around saying well there is this virus that's getting around in our society there are people who are vulnerable to this virus and we need to look after them and protect them and and try and reduce the rate at which they get infected and the rate at which they die you know all of which makes sense Um, but there's also a more longer term view around this sort of coronavirus that I think we need to take because I think Whenever challenges like this come up, um, it gives us an opportunity, and, and it kind of shines a spotlight on where our weaknesses are. Uh, and I think that's really been shown up by the coronavirus at the moment. Where when this stress comes, people's weaknesses are shown up around their immune system and around the way they look after themselves. You know, societal weaknesses are shown up around our uh, rates of chronic disease. You know, and how many people in our society are actually immunocompromised. Um, you know, even outside of our health, I think there are, there are weaknesses showing up around people's finances. I think what we're seeing right now is how, just, just how many people are living week to week around their finances um, and how much of a challenge it is for people when there is a, a variation to that in terms of their income. And, you know, we're seeing that, I think, in Victoria at the moment where, um, you know, people are, are getting diagnosed with coronavirus. They know they're supposed to be in lockdown. They know they're going to get checked up on, but they're still going to work because they just can't afford to not work, you know. Um, I think, in the same way we 're seeing that uh, you know people 's relationships being exposed, you know whether that 's their relationships at home, their friendships, their work relationships, um, because when this stress comes, if there is any sort of underlying dysfunction there, uh, then this is kind of when it gets brought to the surface, and when people realize that they 're not dealing with these stresses as well as they potentially could be, and so you know, I think it's really important. And, and, you know, the same thing comes in in terms of our diet and our exercise and our lifestyle. It's like all of a sudden for many people, the rug's being pulled out from under them in terms of their, you know, their gym that they used to go to or their cafe they like to go to to get their, you know, their salad at lunchtime. And so, you know, their routines have been thrown upside down and, and many people aren't sort of dealing with that very well either. And so, I sort of look at it and, and think that you know a lot of what we're seeing here is is a lack of resilience in people, and we can sort of have a chat about you know why that might be the case in our modern society that there is less resilience uh, around. But but I think what we're seeing is that that you know the coronavirus is in many ways not just the um, the problem, but in many ways it's been the um, what's brought the problem to the surface in terms of these more chronic issues that I think we really should be talking about as well
1: okay right wow that's just really interesting so from from a resilient point of view what yeah. what ways would you recommend or suggest that we can build build resilience so that when crisis hit, hits which it does uh you know obviously the coronavirus yeah. is something that's affecting everybody across the world, but we've all got our own individual um, and uh, family challenges all the time, right? And and resilience is something that we we need, right? So can you tell us a bit more about resilience and how it helps us? And so there are three questions here and what you recommend to help build it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So so I think like resilience, um, it's important we think about resilience in terms of not just how it helps us in times of crisis, I think, Because if all we focus on is why resilience is important in times of crisis, then I think what we tend to do is not do anything about it until the crisis comes. Um, And often, by the time the crisis comes along, then if we're not in a good position to deal with that, then it's really hard to kind of do the background work required whilst you're sort of stuck in the mud and right in the middle of it. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing in our society at the moment: is that you know people have waited and, and haven't necessarily done a thing about it, and now that the the challenge has hit, we kind of we're so busy trying to put out fires and and the sort of the crises that we can't deal with the more underlying stuff so you know i think it is important to think about why resilience is is important in the good times as well and and so you know resilience i think allows us to do well at things like academia you know if you're wanting to study and to learn something then you're going to have challenges along the way you're going to have setbacks along the way you might have failures along the way and so having a degree of resilience is what allows you to have a growth mindset around that, and to and to use it as learning and feedback and ways to move forward, rather than letting it knock you down and knock you out potentially. So you know, for things like academic success, for things like financial success, um, for things like dating, uh, socializing, you know, we're always going to have knockbacks, we're always going to have setbacks, we're always going to have losses, and it's it's all about how you learn to bounce back from that. You know, uh, similarly, when we're talking about you know health and lifestyle design, you know, having a framework around which and I know you talk about this sort of stuff a lot Ellen but having a framework around which you can set yourself up for success um, and make it easier for you um, having a framework around how to deal with when you fall off the wagon um, you know is really important in terms of long-term being able to have success with your health and your lifestyle you know even at the moment I think we're seeing a lot of people wanting to be political and get into activism at the moment Um, but having a degree of resilience around that is really important to understand that you're not always going to win, you know, and, you, and the, there's fights you have to pick and there's fights that sometimes you have to let go and, there's you know, and when you do let go, it doesn't mean you have to let go forever but you have to, you know, pick your times and all those sort of things. So I think resilience is really important all the time uh, but obviously particularly when there's really challenging times and crises hit, then, you know, resilience is really important in terms of being able to deal with health challenges that might come along. It's important to be able to deal with your family and your relationships when those dynamics change and there's a lot of, stress in the air you know it's important in terms of being able to deal with the financial challenges that many people in australia and around the world are seeing right now and are probably going to see over the next uh, year maybe even several years you know um it's important around you see challenges around your diet and your exercise you know challenges around chronic disease challenges around chronic pain you know so All of these things, you know, and really you could list a 1,000 others uh, that are just really important in terms of building and developing that resilience. Um, So, you know, I think that's kind of the first part of the question, which is why we need it. But then, you know, the the next part of the question is really around what we do about it, right? So um, there's a a guy, a paediatrician called Kenneth Ginsberg who talks a bit about resilience, which is really interesting. I find it fascinating that a paediatrician talks about it. But obviously... He's really interested in, in terms of raising resilient children, which I'm sure um, we would all love to do. Um, and in some ways, I think, can be a little bit of a lost art in our modern society is, is the art of raising resilient children. We seem to be very much in, uh, in a state of fear around our children nowadays in that we want to protect them. Um, and I think we're seeing that at the moment, certainly with, with a lot of the challenges coming up with the coronavirus is that we want to protect our children. We want to enable them to avoid all stresses. Um, rather than necessarily helping them deal with the stresses when they come along, you know. So he talks about the seven C's of resilience. And so he talks about competence, um, which is around people, you know, kind of developing the skills. Um, And then really often the way to develop skills is to fail. Because if you're not trying something, if you're not not trying enough things, then you're not going to fail. And if you're not failing, you're not going to necessarily develop that level of competence. Um, He talks about confidence, you know, and, and once again, really, The important thing for kids with confidence is that they are trying stuff and doing stuff because it's only when they do stuff that they have an opportunity to succeed, and it's only that actual act of succeeding that really gives them that confidence. And so it's all about figuring out how we can set themselves up for success. You know, I think um, I think your products are a great example of this, Helen. Where um, you know, for people wanting to change to a paleo diet, for example, um, you know, going out on day one and cleaning out their entire pantry and cooking everything from scratch and, you know, doing the whole hog uh, for many people is really difficult, you know, but f- for someone to be able to start by saying, well, actually, I'm just going to get some, um, you know, some seedy bread or some, you know, what's it? What's your fruit loaf called, Helen? Fruit toast. Fruit toast. There you go. I, knew, I was trying to think if there was, if there was something. Your favorite. Isn't it a fatty
1: something? Yeah, there's what's a, fat-, the other one? There's a fatty- fat and seedy bread, but I think your favourite, unless you've changed, it used to be the fruit toast. You used to well, just like eat it, those, like actually. just yeah, bite the loaf. You didn't well, even
0: bother slicing it. I remember one of our events, my lunch didn't rock up, and so I didn't have yeah. anything to eat. And I was like, can I just – you just gave me like a loaf of that fruit toast, and I just smashed it. It was great. Like a kid. he um, anyway, was like oh. – Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just a whole loaf in my hand. It's awesome. So, um, but, you know, if for someone who's just wanting to start on this lifestyle, then, you know, something like that fruit loaf as a breakfast, you know, it's just such a great way for them to start because – they're setting They're making it easier for them to succeed, and when they do succeed, then that allows them to gain that confidence that we're talking about. You know, um, the third C he talks about is connection, um, and obviously that's having a you know a supporting tribe around you. Obviously, everyone listening to your podcast, you know, this is part of their tribe that they can connect with like-minded people and hear from someone like yourself who is you know where they want to be, I guess, and and that's really important for people in terms of their resilience is they feel like they've got people around them to support them in the journey that they're on. Um, and then you talk about character. Um, and, and the really important thing for character is that, um, especially for kids as they're growing and developing, is that they get reinforcement. You know, reinforcement for good behaviours, but also reinforcement for behaviours or, or the, the, some behaviours aren't necessarily appropriate as well. And so they start to learn, I guess, morals and they, and they start to learn what the result is, you know, the consequences of their actions, which I think is really important in terms of developing resilience. Um, The other one he talks about is contribution. Um, And and so that's, you know, feeling like you're giving to something greater than yourself. I'm sure for you, Helen, the podcast is a great example of that where you're, you know, you're giving something out to society and you're allowing people to, um, you know, to utilize that to better themselves. And and that makes you feel great. and, And that, that inner confidence and that inner, um, you know, those good feelings that you get from that really do enable you and help you to deal with the the challenging times as well. Um, he talks about coping, you know, and having tools in your toolkit, and, and that's really, you know, particularly to him, he's talking about kids. is about you know upskilling your kids so that they've got the the tools that they require to be able to deal with all of the various different challenges that come along along the way, and. And this is really, you know, in terms of the, a lot of the online mentoring that I do, um, you know, I do it exercising resilience, which is a, a mentoring program for people to help them build their resilience. And, and these sort of coding strategies are what we talk about all the time. We do sort of regular sessions, uh, workshopping, and mentoring people through that. Um, and then he talks about control being the final C, which is. Um, which is not you know obsessively trying to control everything but it's about understanding that that you are in control that you have a growth mindset that enables you understand that you have an ability to change what's going on in your world you're not just a passive receiver of all these stresses that are coming at you in the world but you have an ability to control and to change your ability to deal with those and your and how you want to deal with those and how you want to navigate your way through that as well so those are the sort of the sort of seas of resilience that Ginsberg talks about. Um, But I think, you know, there's lots of different skills that can come into that when you're talking about resilience, you know, in terms of, um, you know, patience and optimism and gratitude and, you know, kindness, forgiveness, uh, connection, as we talked about before. You know, all all of these different skills are are really important and they're not necessarily skills, I think, that, uh, that we're great at in our modern society. Um, I think we've sort of, you know, especially for the younger generation. But I, but I really think we give the younger generation a bad rap on this front. You know, we tend to like to blame, um, you know, Generation Z, uh, and say, you know, they're they're, they're risk averse, and they're not resilient, and they struggle to move out of home, and they struggle to deal with jobs, and you know, all of these sort of labels we like to throw at them. But really, I think to a large degree, they're, they're a symptom of the environment that they've grown up in, and so. You know, rather than sort of blaming this younger generation for, uh, for growing up in this way, we, we really need to look at what environment are we creating for them to grow up in? How are we creating this fear and anxiety that, that leads them to think that they're not good enough to deal with those challenges and they're not capable of dealing with their challenges? And so that's, uh, you know, that's something I'm really passionate about at the moment is helping people see that um, you know, not only can they create a greater environment for others, but they can create a greater environment for themselves. Um, in order to be able to release their innate resilience, because I think resilience is something that is innate. I don't think it's—I think it's something that we're all born with. Um, but for many of us, we've just lost our way uh, in terms of resilience in our modern society. You know, and and I think there's lots of different reasons for that. But um, you know, we we really. But a, but a lot of it, I think, has to do with what we surround ourselves with. And, and if you look at you know, mainstream media, you just see so much fear and anxiety being driven in that uh, because that's what drives eyeballs and that's what drives sales is that fear and anxiety of people feeling like they're not good enough and feeling like there's stuff that they need to fear. And and I think social media has just amplified that tenfold where, you know, people who already feel like they're maybe not good enough or that the world's a scary, dangerous place uh, are jumping on social media and then comparing themselves to everyone else and reading all these stories of, you know, how the world is falling apart and it's just driving more and more and more of that sort of fear and anxiety and helplessness in people um, that that is then, you know, really causing them to struggle in times of crisis like, like we have right now.
1: Yeah. Wow. Amazing. And I guess yeah, I guess that um I guess humans do have that negativity bias anyway. That's like it's a survival mechanism and especially um yeah. negative things about ourselves. I mean, you know, eleven people can say something nice to you and one person says something horrible and all you can remember is the horrible thing that someone said to you. And I, I do think, you know, it's a survival mechanism. It's our invitation to to grow and um do better next time because that's you know um, the survival of the survival of the fittest, and that's how we've um, evolved over time. But I do, I do also um, believe, you know, I guess that's why the media does. It's basically given us what we want. We want the bad news. We want something to to be sensational and dramatic. And but it does absolutely destroy our resilience if you believe everything that's on media and social media you know it's it's the it's the feel good real everybody's showing the best parts of their life which you know if you take to be the reality and then you know it's a fantasy you're only chasing half of their real life and you don't see all the bad stuff because they don't put that on social media so it can lead to yeah, yeah that comparisonitis and feeling not not enough which is um yeah, and then just what you said, everything about, about kids as well, all of our, you know, like um, at school uh, being re- rewarded and um, commended for taking part in a race, even though like no like yep. winners or losers, um, just everybody yeah. fair and everyone. Yeah, and I, I do often think, well, how is that setting us up for the rest of life? Because like you say, there are knockbacks. There are, in every area of your life, you do need to be able to be, yeah. have that resilience to pick yourself up and keep on going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the best things about like, I mean, school sport's a great example. You know, I had my son, had his first footy game last weekend and I don't keep score now because, you know, he's 11, you know, they all know what the score is, let's be honest, like, but they don't keep score because they don't want anyone to win and anyone to lose. I actually think they'd be far better off letting, letting some people win and some people lose and then having great conversations around losing well and winning well and what that means and what that looks like. And You know how this is relevant to the rest of your life, and how this is relevant to um, you know your career going forward. All of those sort of things. You know, I think there's just wonderful conversations that can be had around that. You know, in in my mentoring group, we often talk about this. is really about you know using your triggers. You know, because people want to say, well, you know, the media is bad, or social media is bad, or keeping score is bad. You know, because Mm -hmm. these things trigger people, but the reality is that it's all about what you do with that that's really important. I mean, you can use the media in wonderfully positive ways. You know, you can use social media in wonderfully positive ways. Um, you know, as I said, keeping score can be a wonderfully positive experience if you do it the right way. So, it, you know, I really encourage everyone in my mentoring group to, to look at what what is triggering you you know, and why is it triggering you and using that as a learning experience and a growth experience rather than a negative thing. You know, the fact that that person you met in the shops today that made that one little comment about you has triggered you so much that it's affected the rest of your day is a massive red light to you to say, hey, there's something going on here. And it's not about that comment that that person made at all. It's about what's going on inside of you. and And it's about where your resilience is at, where your self-talk is at, where your self-love is at, that that you're in such a state that that little comment was able to trigger you has nothing to do with what they said to you and everything to do with what you've been saying to yourself um, because that's ultimately what those triggers are is they're little jabs at your, your own in inner thoughts and your own self-talk. And so they give you an opportunity to really analyse your inner thoughts and your self-talk and, and to figure out why that is and, and what you can do about shifting that and changing that so that it doesn't keep triggering you every time, you know, something of that nature comes up.
1: Yeah, I love leaning into the triggers. So I'm always like, okay, what's the inv- this is an invitation. What's what's in there? Why is this triggering me? And usually we're so pissed off when we get triggered that we just spend all of the time kind of like wah, 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 about the trigger, whereas really I think yeah. I found a lot of benefit from going, okay, right, this is really triggering me uh, I like emotional freedom uh, techniques. I guess that would come under um, the tools yep. that you talked about. So yep. the coping tools that you talked about, w- you know, whatever works for you. So I quite like tapping, tapping it through and then sort of diffusing a little bit of that uh, feeling and then saying, right, what what is in there? And quite often, it's usually an invitation to improve something like, you know, somewhere in your you know subconscious conscious whichever one that that wasn't quite good enough and that needed improving and it can be something just as simple as that and then once you've done it that doesn't trigger you anymore because you dealt with your baggage and you worked it through and you know it can take a a lot of times I reckon something especially if it's a big trigger to if you know to to diffuse it till it's neutralized Um, but it's certainly a really cool experiment and so good if you've got that Connection. if you're surrounded by those like-minded people that can kind of support you, witness you, hold you through that transformation because it's pretty, it's pretty lonely if nobody gets it, you know, if nobody knows what you're talking about, right?
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and once again, you know, with, with the mentoring group I've got, that's the most beautiful thing is when you've got a bunch of people who are all doing the same mentoring sessions and working on the same you know, aspects of their resilience at the same time. You know, it's so rare to have such a group like that where people are so like-minded and so similarly focused and supportive and, you know, helping each other through the same stuff. You know, I think, you know, that, that old sort of saying of you are the five people you spend the most time around, you know, yeah. is so relevant there. Um, but, you know, one of the other things you mentioned was you, you were talking about those sort of emotions that come up initially, you know. I think it's really important for people to understand that this is not about burying that initial emotional reaction. You know, like if something happens that makes you angry, it's okay to be angry. You know, if something happens that makes you sad, it's okay to be sad. You know, if something happens that makes you feel guilty, it's okay to feel guilty. You know, it's not about burying those emotions and totally avoiding them. It's really important to to feel those emotions and to express those emotions in a healthy way. But then the important thing is not to get stuck there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if you're feeling guilty all the time, then that's a real issue, right? But if you feel guilty for a short time and then you go, oh, that's interesting. Why was I feeling guilty? What's going on there? You know, was that a a behavior I'd like to do better next time? Can I change and improve? Um, Then you're using that in a really positive way. But if you just keep burying those emotions down and thinking that it's not okay to express them, which is what a lot of people do, um, then you're never going to learn the lesson in that way either. You're just going to sort of create this real, Toxic environment inside of you, where you just keep burying and burying and burying the emotions, and usually what happens is when it does finally come out, it's it's a little bit of an explosion.
1: It's a bit messy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. yep. absolutely, absolutely love it. So we've talked about the the seven C's of resilience is there any um and i mean we've also talked about a few things that could potentially um shake our resilience or, or, or break it down slightly can you tell us a bit more about what can really damage our resilience and what we can what things we can do to strengthen it
0: yeah absolutely so as i said i think the things that really damage it uh, is just that that fear and anxiety that's so pre- prevalent in our society right now um and so i think you know Positioning yourself in a situation where the information you're consuming is really sort of fear and anxiety based and and taking on board all of that fear and anxiety that's in society around you. So, um, and it's not just about the fear and anxiety, it's really about the response to that fear and anxiety. So that, that sort of helpless response that people have that, you know, things are happening to me, that society is doing this to me, that other people are doing this to me, that the media is doing this to me, that work is doing this to me, you know, that, that real helpless, passive reaction, I think, um, is the one that we really want to look out for uh, in terms of our resilience. And, and if we're putting ourselves in a situation where we're constantly surrounded by that sort of fear and anxiety, and in particular, that sort of response to the fear and anxiety, I think that's really where a lot of this comes from. And it can be coming from As I said, your parents, you can come from the media, from social media, from school, from work, from friends, all around you. So I think that's really what we need to look out for. But, you know, in terms of being able to then respond to that and to change that, I think the first thing, the first step of that really, I think, is acknowledging that there is an innate intelligence within us, that there is a resilience within us, that we're not born to be these passive helpless, uh, fearful, anxious beings, you know, whilst, as you said, I think there is an aspect of that that in the appropriate time and the appropriate place, that response is really important. Um, but I also think that we have appropriate time and place and responses to help move us back out of that again if, if we're living in a, in a sort of healthy way. So I think the first step is really acknowledging that we do have that within us. And, you know, all of us have had times in our life where we have been resilient. And I think really sort of leaning on that and recognising that it's there is the first step to allowing us to start to draw that out and, and to tease that out of people. And and this is what I really talk about in my, in my mentoring is it's not about anything that I can sort of teach you or give to you or, you know, force upon you. It's about drawing out that which already exists within you. Um, and then I think the next aspect of that is there really has to be a, a strong aspect of self-love that follows on from that, uh, you know, because if you don't, Love yourself enough. If you don't prioritize yourself enough, um, then drawing that out can be really challenging. You know, investing the time and the effort and the energy in yourself um, to draw out that resilience and to rebuild it and sort of reconstruct it from the ground up um, is something that that you're probably not going to invest the time in until you really work on that self love and and recognizing that you're worth it and that you deserve it. And and so there's kind of a whole flow-on effect then where once you start recognising that, then the next question is, well, why do I want that? Like, why do I want this resilience? Well, how, what is this going to help me achieve? And so it's about then really investing the time to figure out, um, you know, what is your why? What, what motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? What gets you excited? What makes you act the way that you do? Because when you can connect your actions and your resilience to those things, it, it gives you a higher purpose, a higher calling, you know, it, it, it gives you that sense of contribution that we mentioned earlier. And when you've got that sense of contribution to a higher value, um, then it helps you work through those challenges. You know, It helps you work through those sticky points and to see that the challenge is worth it and that the learnings you'll get coming out the other side of the challenge are totally going to be worth it. So so that connection with your why is super important. That, that's probably something I spend a huge amount of time with with the mentoring clients is, you know, really delving down and getting to the nitty-gritty of how each of these little aspects that you're building up connect with your why and and how you can create a much bigger purpose around each of them Um, because when that purpose is there, when the why is big enough, the actions just become so much easier. Um, You know, the next thing I always talk about is curiosity and that kind of links into what we were talking about before is, you know, really curiosity around those triggers. Um, you know, Why do I react that way? Why is that my response? Why aren't I doing these behaviors that I've said that I really want to do? You know, Getting really curious about that why I think is just a super important part of the process. And then the more curious you get about the world around you, but in particular about the world within you and within your body and within your mind, um, then the more the possibilities start to open up as far as um, you know, understanding what's going on, but also then understanding what you can do about it. So, you know, I think that curiosity is really important. I, I, I can go on here, Helen. I've got eight more points I can talk about. Do you want me to keep going? Or have you got questions about those?
1: No, I say keep going. This is gold.
0: Uh, all right. So <laughs> the next thing I always talk to with the, with the mentoring clients is around expectations. Um, and, and this is where I think we so often set ourselves up for failure. You know, we spoke before about all of the expectations we can have when we start taking on a new diet or a lifestyle, that I'm going to do it this way and I'm going to do it to this level and I'm going to do it this frequently and we, we just put so many expectations on ourselves and we allow others to put so many expectations on ourselves, whether that's our family, whether that's our relationships, whether it's our work, whether it's our society. You know? We allow all these expectations to be thrown on top of us around how things should be done. Um, and, as we said before, in terms of the diet, you know with the the dessert on the you know, the special occasions it 's mm-hmm. only I think once we start to lose those expectations that we can actually start to understand what we can do and why we can do it, and to create a life that actually does fit in with our why rather than fitting in with other people 's why and other people 's expectations and when you can really get sort of solid around that as, as to you know what works for you. And why you're doing what you're doing and, and why you're doing it for yourself and and why actually you don't have any expectations around that because actually failing at something can be just as useful as succeeding at something and that, you know, it's okay if I don't do this perfectly straight away because that's a great learning lesson as well as to what happens when I do do it well and then what happens when I don't do it well and you know, how can I then use that to propel me forwards, you know. So, I think all of these aspects really do tie into your resilience because, you know, the more you understand why you're doing what you're doing, the the less expectations you have around yourself, the more resilient you are to when things succeed but also when things fail as well. And so, you know, we then mentioned earlier about, you know, realising you're in control um, and that's a huge part of this is that, you know, to be really resilient, you have to have that drive from within. You have to have that recognition, that, what I do makes a difference because if you don't realise that you're in control, then you're so susceptible to this stress, this fear, this anxiety, this helplessness that's just being thrown at us from so many different angles. But once you realise you're in control, it allows you to have a much different perspective on all of those challenges and to say, okay, you know, that's interesting. Um, I wonder what I should do about that. I wonder how I could shift. I wonder how I could pivot in order for that not to be such a big challenge, in order for me to actually keep moving forwards rather than just getting sort of bombarded and pushed down as well. Um, But, you know, it's one thing to understand that uh, you're in control and there's another thing to take action around that as well. And and this is where I think many people in the sort of self-help space fall over. Um, you know, people watch the movies like The Secret and they sort of got this idea that all I have to do is think about this positive stuff and it's all going to happen <laughs> and it's all going to exist in my world. And, you know, if I just it's think about the paleo too. diet, then that will uh, you know, just manifest this great healthy body. But the reality is unless you actually go and, and get the, the tools you need to cook the food and to make the actual change, um, then it's not really going to have any impact on your body. I mean, that's not true. It will have some impact on your body. We, we certainly know that that's true. Um, but it's not going to have the full gamut of impact on your body that it could, you know. Um, One of my favourite mentors was a guy by the name of James Chestnut. Uh, He was a chiropractor from Canada who sort of toured around talking about uh, a vitalistic lifestyle. It was really cool. And and he would liken our bodies to a pot plant, you know. And his thinking around this was, you know, some people just want to focus on the the mental side of things. Uh, And I think if I just get all the mental side of stuff right, then everything else is going to take care of itself, you know. Other people would just want to think of the physical side of things. And I think, well, if I just get my exercise dialed in right, I can kind of eat what I want. But as long as I do enough exercise to burn it off again, then everything will sort of be okay. You know, other people just want to focus on the diet. And it's like, well, as long as I'm eating the right stuff and fueling my body, it can deal with everything else, you know. And, and Chestnut's view on that was to say, well, you know, we really want to think about our bodies more like a pot plant. where." You can give a pot plant the most perfect soil, you know, the absolute perfect environment upon which for it to grow. Uh, but if you don't give it sunlight and water, it's never going to thrive. You know, similarly, you can give it all the sunlight in the world, but if it doesn't have nutrients, um, then it's not going to survive. You know, so it's it's important that it actually has all of those things that it requires in terms of survive. And I think this is really important here, where you know, it's not just the mental side of things that's important; it's uh, it's taking action on the other things and in terms of your your mindset and your physicality and all those other aspects of your life is really important if you really want to have great resilience. And and at the end of the day, it is taking action that actually builds your resilience. It's not until you take action and you're able to succeed at stuff that you actually start to build that belief within yourself that you're resilient enough to take on challenges. And the more challenges you throw at yourself, the more you're able to overcome them or fail at them but the more you fail at you know the more you take on the more you will succeed and the more you will fail so it's certainly not about avoiding failure because both of those are important Um, but the more you are able to succeed then the more you build up that muscle within your body that says hey i'm able to take on these challenges i'm able to have this greater resilience i'm able to deal with it when i win and i'm able to deal with it when i lose and so then i can move forward from there um the final tool I always talk to people about in terms of this resilience is really is believing in miracles, you know, because I think that so often we get so stuck in the idea of what we think is not possible. Um, And so the one thing I did like about the secret was this idea that, you know, way more stuff than you ever thought possible is possible. You know, I'm not a believer that humans can fly unaided. You know, there are some things that we can't Mm -hmm. do, uh, but there's a lot of stuff that we can. And I, I think our ability of our body to, thrive and to succeed and to be resilient um, and to succeed in the world around us even when it seems like the world around us is a bit stressful and corrupt and whatever the challenges we've got going on at the moment you know our ability to deal with that and our ability to thrive through that I think is far greater than we've led been led to believe and so believing in miracles believing that change is possible um, I think is a super important part of, of being able to have some resilience and to realise that you know, this too shall pass is, is one of my absolute favourite quotes and, and it's just as relevant when things are going well as it is when things are not going well. Um, but when you have this idea that this too shall pass and, and that more is possible and that miracles are possible allows you to have that curious open mind um, that I think allows you to be so much more resilient, um, like I said, not only when the, the crises come but, but in the everyday challenges of daily life as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Talking my language, Bretto. It's so up my street. I'm very much, um, you know, working on mindset. But like you say, you can't just think yourself. Well, some people say you can think yourself rich and think yourself (laughs) healthy, you know. Um, I do think that I'm a big visualizer, so visualizing uh, a new reality. But then for me, it's about, yeah, taking inspired action. So, okay, well, if I want to have this beautiful home, I need to fill out a you know on a builder license application form and get the plans written you know drawn up by the drafts person there 's certain you know actions that need to take place in the physical world whilst you 're you know off daydreaming about your amazing future and i think it 's very powerful and I think that the biggest thing holding us back is ourselves and i 'm absolutely with you there 's so much Um, conditioning and you know we've talked a little bit about this before but that makes us believe that we're capable of a certain amount or a certain amount or that we're um, only able to to achieve a certain amount when really you know when you when you develop that mindset of what else is possible it's it's like a game isn't it it's like you like what else can I do what else can I take on bring it you know and I think that I know we haven't talked specifically around food and lifestyle, but personally for me, you know, resilience started with food, like changing the diet and cleaning that up and focusing on sleep, nature, sunshine, all of the, you know, paleo primal lifestyle um, seals of um, excellence (laughs) Um, really started my journey. Would it be the same for you? And is there anything that's happened in your journey, Brett, that's made you have this real interest in resilience
0: oh yeah absolutely i mean there's been i would say a lot of things that have happened along my journey um i I am um i'll be releasing a book probably later this year maybe early next year i think later this year called rock bottom which was all about my journey through uh divorce and separation um and that was a massive impact for me um in terms of developing greater resilience and realizing just how important resilience was when those challenging times came along but just on
1: that, hang on, be... just to interrupt you, sorry to interrupt Brett, but just on that, that That's is it. a perfect example of, you know, visualizing something that you want. So you've got this book, it's called Rock Bottom. Tell us about how you've used your, um, the, the tools that you've got, and they kind of like a discipline to bring that, you, you've taken real action on that, haven't you? Tell me about, tell our listeners about how you're getting that book out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it is. I mean, writing a book is a big thing. And, and I think you, I, I have a feeling, uh, I don't have any experience on this front, but I have a feeling it's probably a bit like having a baby where, When you've done it once, you kind of forget how hard and how long it was the first time (laughs) and you get all excited about doing it again. Um, But, uh, yeah, it it is a process. But, you know, I guess the thing for it, it does come back to all of those things that I just spoke about because, you know, the the first thing, the first challenge, I guess, with writing a book is feeling like you're good enough to write a book um, because, you know, all of us have those, that devil on our shoulder that's like, what are you writing a book for? Like, seriously, who are you to write a book? How do you think you're going to help people, you know, and so having that, uh, that self-love, um, you know, is really the first step in terms of writing a book. And, and, then, um, and then, as I said, the connection with why is that thing of like, well, you know, what, what's a big enough why that gets me to write this book? You know, and for me, it is that it's a combination of um, legacy, you know, in terms of wanting to feel like I'm having an impact on the world. Um, and it's also a combination of uh, my family, you know, wanting to create an environment for my kids to grow up in. You know, I understand that I'm not always going to be there side by side with my kids and and I guess one of the biggest realisations of this was going through a divorce and separation and all of a sudden realising that now I'm only with my kids 50% of the time, you know, and that was Mm -hmm. a massive challenge and a massive shift for me. Um, But it also then gave me, you know, once I sort of, I guess, worked my way through it which is a big part of what i talk about in the book was was this realization that well you know you kind of there's some things i can't i can't control that you know that wasn't a decision i made it was it's something i had to sort of deal with and um i couldn't control that but what i could control was um what i did when i had my kids um and also what i could control was you know having an impact on the world in which they were going to grow up in and then so that became a real i guess motivator for me was wanting to create a healthier world um and I guess particularly in this instance, you know, looking at that, that mindset and that resilience and that ability to deal with challenges, you know, looking at men's mental health, I think is a really important sort of topic that, that comes through a little bit in the book, but, but really it's, it's relationship health as well. So it, it's equally applicable for men and women. But, um, you know, that real connection and gives you the drive to do it. But, but then it comes down to, as you said, the taking action, you know. And so for me, it's about prioritising it enough to to set the time aside to get it done. So for me, that means that what I started doing was I started uh, changing my Friday morning routine. Uh, I changed to start doing the early CrossFit class on Friday morning. So I would do the six o'clock exercise routine on Friday morning. And then when I got into work, the first thing I would do for at least an hour was write my book, you know. So it 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 it. was scheduled into the calendar. It was prioritized in front of everything else because it was important enough to me to make it a priority um, it was scheduled in, and then it was just a matter of just each week you do a little bit. You know, I had I this time I set myself there's no deadlines around when I was going to get it done by. Once again, I sort of lost a lot of the expectations around how quick it was going to be or how you know anything like that. It was just I'm just going to keep working. I'm going to make sure that each week it moves forwards. You know, and that's really been my goal throughout the whole period. Each week I do something to move it forwards and. Now, some weeks it feels like it goes ahead in leaps and bounds. So some weeks it feels like it's going <laughs> at a snail's <laughs> pace. Um, but so long as I'm doing something each week to move
1: it forward. Love it. I love that example. So if we wanted to get involved with your resilience um, program, how does it look Yes, and how do we join? Yeah, great. Um, so, yes, uh,
0: the program is called Exercising Resilience and you can go and check it out. The website is exercisingresilience.com. Um, And inside of that is really a private mentoring group. Um, And so what that means is that people get access to me every single day. So I I go in there every single day and answer questions and interact with people um, and help them build up their resilience and and work on all of these different aspects that we're talking about. Um, But as well as that, we do two group mentoring sessions a month. So roughly once a fortnight, we get online online. Um, we all get together. I, I lead us through an exercise, you know, through a workshop, through a program where we, we look at uh, different aspects of our resilience and what we're doing and how we're doing it. So, you know, we've, we've spoken in there about, for example, having win-win relationships. You know, we've spoken in there about how to quit something you want to quit. We've, we've spoken in there about, for example, how to deal with criticism. And so we have these workshops and they're very interactive. So, you know, people can come on on audio or on video if they like and they can give their, their feedback on it, they can ask questions, they can tell us what their challenges are, and we can work one-on-one with them. Uh, and, of course, the beauty of that group environment is, you know, invariably when one person's got a challenge like that, then everybody has in some way in their life experienced the same challenge and has similar things that they want to work on. And so we work through that inside the group and in those sessions and they go for, you know, we, we sort of say they go for an hour, but invariably they always go for longer than an hour and <laughs> I just stay there until everyone's kind of done, which is really <laughs> fun. Um, and then we do a 21-day challenge each month as well. So starting tomorrow, we're doing a 21-day challenge. This month, we are focusing on something that we, that we want to quit. And so we've picked one or two things that we're going to quit for the next 21 days and see how it goes, you know, and without any expectations, see how we feel and then sort of decide what we want to do moving forward from there as well. But, you know, we've done other challenges around, so let's say gratitude, we've done challenges. Last month, we did a great challenge around slow movement, you know, introducing some slower movement or some stretching into our day. Um, which was very much generated by the members of the group. You know, They have lots of input into what challenge they want to take on for the next month as well. So, um, so that's what we do each month. Um, I do allow uh, for your listeners, if they want yeah. to get involved, it's really easy um, because what they can do is they can try it out for 30 days. Um, and so what that means is they get a full 21-day challenge, they get two of those mentoring sessions, they get 30 days of that access to me, um, totally free, Um, They just go to exerciseandresilience.com, they sign up and at any time during that 30 days, if they decide that it's not for them or if they decide they don't want to continue beyond that 30 days, they just send us a message and they say, cool, Um, and it's no obligation, no commitment, no, it doesn't cost them a cent. So you just get to go in there for 30 days, you get to try it out, see whether it's right for you, build up some resilience, You you get 30 days of resilience building for free. And then if you love it and decide you want to do more, then you obviously can stay on board as well and have lots of fun with us.
1: What a great offer. Seriously, that's so cool. So people have got nothing to lose. They can just go to exercisingresilience.com, yeah. sign up yeah. for a free trial. Is that right? They don't need a special link? Yeah.
0: No. No, no they don't need a special link. It's all set up there on exercisingresilience.com. They just go straight in and, um, and they can get straight on. They can be on board in the next couple of minutes. They can be straight in there. And um, so as I said, it's a great opportunity to do that. You know, I, I and the thing is, I just know that the value they'll get from that month, they're going to love it. They'll love the mentoring, and in particular, they'll love the peer group. You know, we talked about the five people you surround yourself with. Well, it's just it's an inspire. I get inspired by the peer group that's in there. Just the, the way they support each other and the way they build each other up and set each other up for success is just really cool. So, as I said, if you do it for thirty days, you're going to get great value out of it. You're going to just get so much out of it, but uh, chances are you may want to continue beyond that as well, which would be awesome too
1: yeah, and, and you're giving away thirty days for free really is testament to you and um, believing in in what you 're offering and and the value that it 's yeah. got so i think it's a, it's, a, it's a great deal so cool
0: yeah so, and, and it 's also about the sort of time of the world we 're in right now, like I just yeah. feel like people need it right now, so if if all we do is we give people thirty days and we build up all of their resilience. Um, and that's all we do with them. That would be an amazing thing in this time because I know that helps people and it you know, has that sort of ripple effect where it helps them and it helps their family and it helps all the people around them as well, which is really important in a time like this, I reckon.
1: It's so true. That that real positive, um, resilient person does always ripple out and benefit everybody. It's a, it's a contribution to everybody, yep. not just yourself, which is, which is really cool. But look, I'm really curious to find out what Brett Hill's giving up in the 21-day challenge.
0: Yeah, cool. So um, I'm actually doing 21 days. I'm doing It's funny because you asked me about these earlier. Um, yes. I'm doing no coffee and no alcohol for 21 days, so, oh. um, which is interesting for me because I, actually, I didn't drink for about eight years up until uh, probably a year or two ago. Um, and I didn't really have much coffee over that period of time. I I didn't really drink coffee much at all either. So they're kind of two things that I've sort of, um, I suppose say crept back in, but I've allowed back into my life over the last year or two. Um, consciously, you know, because I just sort of was like, oh, I wonder, you know, a bit of, bit of an experiment, you know. I wonder what would happen if I reintroduce those two. And, yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, my wife, Steph, loves coffee. So that's been, you know, she's always making the coffee in the coffee machine and all that sort of stuff. So that's been an easy one to sort of do. And, and so I sort of got to the stage where I was sort of thinking about it. And I've been thinking about it a little bit over the last six months, to be honest. But with a five-and-a-half-month-old baby, I thought it probably wasn't the right time to try and quit coffee. Um, <laughs> so I've been sort of waiting for the right time. And, uh, and so I feel like now is the right time to sort of see how I go, you know, do it for 21 days, do a bit of a cost-benefit analysis and see whether it's something I want to continue quitting or if it's something I want to, um, you know, do differently or if, I, in fact, I'm happy with the way I've been doing it. Um, and so that's kind of my approach to it, you know, very much giving up that expectation and just seeing how it goes.
1: See how it goes. Awesome. So, you know, I ask all of my guests what their thoughts are on coffee, wine and chocolate. So you, you've told us a little bit about, you know, your experience of, Having them in your life and not having them in your life. What are your thoughts on those three kind of gray areas, really, of a, a clean living way of life?
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I think everyone responds to them differently, is what I think. So, you know, coffee is a great example. I think some people seem to be good coffee metabolizers and some people seem to be bad coffee metabolizers, you know. And I'm sure that changes depending on, you know, how much you've historically consumed them as well as your ability to deal with them. But You know, I know for me, like if I have a coffee late in the afternoon or in the evening, I just won't sleep that night. Whereas my brother can have a coffee like half an hour before going to bed and have absolutely no problems going to sleep, you know. So I think how everybody deals with them is different. Um, I think coffee is an important, you know, it's important that you're conscious of the impact it has on the stress levels within your body. You know, if you're someone who's already struggling and stressed and highly strung, then, then it does tend to switch on that stress response in your body. Um, and I think also it's important to be mindful of how it affects your energy because many people have coffee because they feel like it gives them increased energy, which it does in the short term. Um, but sometimes uh, it impacts negatively on your energy in the long term and means that that short term increase you get is kind of almost just bringing you back to normal. And, and so it's important, I think, to try it out for yourself and, and to see, uh, you know, kind of as I'm doing, is to see, oh, well, what's my life and what's my body and how's my. Life go when I have coffee and how's it go when I don't so you can kind of make a bit of an informed decision I think around whether that works for you um, and I sort of look at alcohol a bit in the same way like I think um, personally, I think the health benefits of alcohol are kind of overblown. Um, we can get many of those same benefits just from eating grapes um, and without any of the negative side effects and when you really start looking into the negative side effects um, there's quite a few there in terms of you know cancers and all sorts of other health implications that you can get from alcohol as well Um, so I think it's important that we we sort of have a bit more of a balanced view around that but it's um, I don't think we really I would say with coffee and alcohol I don't think we can really definitively say whether either of them are healthy or not healthy Um, you know there's certainly evidence from long-lived communities around the world that they do consume coffee and they do consume alcohol if you look at some of the blue zones around the world so that kind of flies in the face of some of the stuff that I just said but uh, once again, I think it's about figuring out what works for you. Um, once again, my suspicion at this stage, having not drunk for eight years and then started reintroducing alcohol over the last little bit, uh, my suspicion is that I do tend to perform better um, and, and you know, enjoy, feel better about my life and feel better, you know, more productive, more energetic, all of those things when I don't consume coffee or alcohol. Um, but obviously, you know, there's so much stuff that comes into that around um, socialising and around family and around, um, you know, the pressure, I guess, or the, the expectations that can come with that. And, um, you know, th- there's lots of other factors, I think, that come into coffee and alcohol that need to be considered, which is you know largely why I did reintroduce both of them. Um, so, yeah, once again, my thinking at the moment is I'm probably better off without either of them, um, but I can't say that definitively. Um, and I certainly can't say whether someone else is better off without either of them um, at this stage because I just don't think the research is there. So um, that was coffee and alcohol. Everyone was chocolate, wasn't it? Chocolate. Chocolate. And so, look, I think chocolate, you know, chocolate's not chocolate. I think that's probably the most important thing to understand is that there's a massive difference between a block of chocolate that's like, you know, 90% cacao versus a block of chocolate that's 60% sugar. Um, And so, you know, (laughs) Which one of those it is, I think, makes a massive difference around the, the health you know, benefits or the, the health harmful effects of it. Uh, so you know, I think if you're making chocolate yourself from home with whole real natural ingredients, I mean, that's just a health food. Like, You can go nuts and eat as much of that as you want, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> it's actually a really good balance of like, fats and carbohydrates and it's got you know, lots of really good stuff in there. Obviously, you don't want to go overboard with the amount of sugar or, in my case, honey you put in there. Um, but I think that's, you know, like sometimes we have chocolate in the fridge that we've made at home and we'll eat some at breakfast time and the kids will eat some at breakfast time and I'm totally okay with that because I think it's great. Um, whereas, you know, if we had a block of, uh, I always said brand I won't say brand but you know, if we had a block of chocolate that was just bought from the supermarket that was really high in sugar, um, then I definitely want to be minimising the amount that we consume that and really we just don't buy that sort of stuff at home and, you know, once again, if a kid at school has a birthday party and they give the kids a, you know, a small block of it, and the kids decide they want to eat it, then they can go for it. that's totally their choice. I really encourage them to make their own choices around that, and I really spend a lot of time trying to educate them about the you know why and how they make those own choices um Obviously you know, I wrote a whole book nourish without nagging that's all about that, so yeah um, that's what we do. I also give them the option that if they have food like that given to them at school or a birthday party or whatever, if they want to trade it with me, they can, um, and they get then they get sort of five or ten dollars to go to. You know, Kmart or wherever they want to buy a toy or a or some, or a book or something else to replace that with if they wish so um, that's generally what happens is they kind of come home excited from birthday parties with a bag of lollies because they get to swap it for something they really want.
1: Turn then into cold hard cash <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, Love it. So I think off track from the question you asked, but uh, th- that's my thoughts on chocolate. It depends on the chocolate, really.
1: Depends on the chocolate. I like that. Like chocolate's not chocolate; it is a bar of sugar, essentially, isn't it? If there's more sugar in it than cacao, which is perfect. yeah, well, it's
0: one part of it. It's one part of it. I mean, there's obviously lots of other things that come into it in terms of the other ingredients that go into it as well. Um, you know there's lots of sugar-free alternatives that i don't think are necessarily that healthy for you either True. Um, and there's lots of other ingredients that get added in, preservatives and you know solidifiers and all those sort of things that go into it that that are not necessarily great either so it's not just about the sugar but sugar is certainly one important component
1: well a very well-rounded um group of answers to the Coffee, yeah. wine, and chocolate. Answer that I ask all that, that question that I ask all of my guests. So thanks for that, Brett. Is, now, is you've been mine any...
0: more long-winded than everyone else's. I feel like I was.
1: <laughs> No, no, and you know it's it's very interesting because <laughs> I, I haven't done a um, a pie chart or any kind of analysis on it, but generally. Uh, wine and coffee is like, mm, and cho- everybody likes chocolate. And there's nobody, there's no <laughs> guest that said chocolate should not be eaten. And you know, you're having it for breakfast, yeah, yeah. so you're 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 in that camp too. <laughs> yeah. which is, but a good quality one, which is gold. So yeah. look, you've you've been yeah. an awesome How we guest. We chocolate be on fruit life for breakfast. I mean, oh, well, you know, um, we actually do an Easter. We do an Easter fruit toast, which is fruit toast with chocolate in. It's like, oh, see, like chocolate there hot you know. cross buns It's really good. But yeah, the fruit toast with um, you know, like a healthy Nutella like i was gonna
0: say you could make a healthy version of nutella you guys should sell that that
1: would be great i think i have to get some in the online shop because um yeah Yeah. it's it's a really good combo yeah absolutely (laughs) delicious so brett you've been an awesome guest you've given us heaps of um yeah really awesome um information on resilience and resistance and how to build it and how the tools we can use and even given us 30 days free in your exercising resilience mentoring group which is just phenomenal now before you go i would love to send you a gift i give a gift to all oh. of my podcast guests of some primal alternative goodies so what would oh, you I like to it. get oh just to
0: choose far out okay
1: oh it can be a surprise oh. That's so hard. But
0: you know, you know what I would love is no. um, some of the pizza bases, I reckon. Yeah, you
1: like the pizzas. Yeah, I have given. I think they were the They're first good. things I sent you, pizza bases.
0: All right. Possibly. I can't remember. I've, I've, I think I've tried the whole range. I, I could easily have chosen anything from the entire range, actually, because I do like <laughs> them all. But I reckon pizza bases would be great.
1: Cool. And I think we'll chuck a couple of other things in there as well. But definitely pizza bases. I, I know that. when it, we and, do and the...
0: If, if like healthy Nutella falls in there, then that's okay too.
1: <laughs> Haven't sourced <laughs> one of those yet, but uh, stay tuned. Um, and I think when we do the Wellness Summit, I think I literally live on those chop chip cookies for the weekend. I think we all kind of just... Oh, so
0: burn the, through those the, cookies. <laughs> it's hilarious. Everyone just like everyone gets their goodie bag and they just dive headfirst in looking for their cookie. It's so funny.
1: Uh, the thing that I like the best is when there's been some leftover goodie bags and at the end of the weekend yeah. you can see everyone rummaging through them trying to find the cookies. That's yeah. always a, that's everything
0: a, gets chucked, the cookie gets kept. Yeah. That's always a good sign.
1: That's always <laughs> a good sign. All right. Well is there any final um, message or parting words that you'd like to leave the listeners with today before we hang up?
0: Well, I think the, the reinforcing message is just, like I said, your body is far more capable than you've been led to believe. It's far more resilient than you've been led to believe. So um, if that's something that resonates with you and you'd love to experience a bit of that, then I'd love to work with you and help draw that out of you over the next 30 days. So, um, you know, come to com, sign up for free. Let's have an awesome month together. And um, I just, I just love to help people, as I said, particularly in this time of stress, Um, to have that resilience that can flow on and through your communities would be awesome.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you, Brett. Thank you. If you want to learn how to create and sell nutritious, honest food, help more people, be part of a supportive community and start your own home business that's in alignment with your highest values, then the Primalista license is for you head over to primalalternative.com to find out how this works.
0: This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.